Pastor Larry asked me to come up and speak a few times this fall, and I said, sure, as long as you give me the really judgmentally passages. And so he did. He did. And so I've got another one this morning. Matthew 12, we'll read together verses 22 through 37. These are words that pierce us for a moment and bring us life when we receive them. Matthew 12, 22 through 37. And talking of Jesus, it says, Then they brought him, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Do you ever feel like your mouth has a mind of its own? (laughs) Me too. Every day. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation and you're talking and talking and it's like you have this out-of-body experience where you're looking down at yourself and saying, stop talking. Why are you saying that? Stop talking. Does that happen to you? Do you ever lie in bed at night and recount the conversations you had over the course of the day and think, I am such a bonehead. Why did I say that? Why did I ask that lady if she was pregnant? That's, I, no, right? You ever walk into a conversation and say, okay, just don't mention this. Just don't mention this. Just don't mention this. And then the first thing out of your mouth is, oh, so how's your divorce going? Like, no, don't mention that, right? The book of James, the half-brother of Jesus James, says that no man can control the tongue. And it's probably not just men. No man or woman can control the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
He says, with it, we praise the Lord our God, and with it, we slander others. He says, my brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. But it is this way, isn't it? And sometimes our mouths have a mind of their own, and they just start, it just starts spouting off. It's unbelievable. Matthew 12 shows us what happens to a group of people who start just shooting off their mouths about Jesus. The people were having a hard time figuring out who Jesus was because they, they had heard he was the Messiah and the Messiah was supposed to be the son of David and David was supposed to be the king who ascended to the throne and ruled in a military way over all the earth. They assumed the Messiah would march up the steps of the temple, sit down on his throne and take down Rome. But Jesus was doing things that were miraculous but didn't look like something that a military leader or a king would do. And, and here in Matthew 12, Jesus acts like a prophet, like a miracle worker. He drives out some demons out of this person who's suffering, who's blind and mute. And so as Jesus does this, the people start talking about, is this Jesus really who we thought he was? Now we read this passage and it says, could this be the son of David? And we picture them marveling at Jesus and asking, is it true? Is it him? Is it the Messiah? He looks like the Messiah, but that's not how Matthew records it. Matthew makes it look like when you read the Greek text that these people were wrestling with this. Look, Jesus is obviously doing things that are miraculous, but he doesn't look like the Messiah we were expecting. He looks more like Elijah. Could this really be the son of David? That's why John the Baptist comes and says, are you, are you the one that we were supposed to expect or should we expect someone else? That's why when Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? People say, well, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. There's a lot of different opinions about who you are because you're an enigma, Jesus. And so these folks are arguing about who Jesus really was, and they think they're out of earshot. But the hard thing about Jesus is it's not just that he can read lips. Jesus can read minds, right? And so it says in verse 25 that Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, and he starts engaging with them. Because the conversation they were having had started going downhill pretty quickly. And doubtless, as these people talked with the religious leaders and others in their little circle about who is Jesus really, they started remembering what happened earlier in Matthew 12. That when Jesus and his disciples were out in the grain fields, they were eating the grain on the Sabbath. And some of the religious people said, you're supposed to be a holy man. Why do you keep eating on the Sabbath? Why are you working on the Sabbath? And people would start recounting all the things that Jesus did that didn't look like something that a Messiah would do. And so as they start throwing around opinions, it gets darker and darker until finally someone says, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. It's like, whoa. You ever had a conversation like that? We start out just talking about something light like politics or ISIS or something. And <laughs> you're bouncing stuff around and it just gets heavier and heavier. And then someone says something and everyone's like, whoa, that's a little extreme. <laughs> Maybe that's true, but I hope no one's listening to us talk right now because we sound crazy. And sometimes we catch ourselves saying stuff like that. And talking about the state of the world with your friends. And then the concept comes up, where's God anyway? Isn't God supposed to be an avenger of those who do wrong? Isn't God supposed to be stepping in? Where's the kingdom that's supposed to come? And then someone shouts out, not meaning it, right? Just blurts out, yeah, if I was God, I'd do a lot better job than this God's doing. And everybody's like, whoa. (laughs) 
lightning is coming. Watch what you're saying, man. It's really easy to let your mouth shoot off and let words stumble out when you're in a vacuum. But the problem is when you hang out with Jesus, he can read minds. And so Jesus walks over to their group knowing their thoughts. And he just starts ripping into these people. He starts with a conversation that they're having and shows them that it's ridiculous. And then he drives down deep and starts talking about their hearts. Jesus speaks in words that sound like the first century century equivalent of, are you guys seriously claiming? (laughs) Let me get this right. You guys think that I'm working for Satan. Is that what I just read your mind you say? That by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, this fellow casts out demons? You know that doesn't even make sense, right? Honestly, you, you think that Satan can drive out Satan? You know that any house divided against itself will not stand. You know that any kingdom or city will crumble if it's divided against itself. Do you really think That in the power of Satan, I'm walking into people's lives and I'm casting out demons. You know, that's the opposite (laughs) of what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to bind people. Satan wants to destroy people. Satan wants to steal people's life. Satan wants to steal people's abilities. And I've come and I've freed them. (laughs) You know that your conversation is insane, don't you? (laughs) He says, let's do this. There are people among you who do great works by the Holy Spirit, who cast out demons, who do amazing miracles. Let's bring them up and let's ask them by what power I am working. Because if I'm working by the power of Satan, by what power do your people act? Let's let them be the judge. And I bet they would say that they and I are working with the same power, the spirit of holiness. And if that's the case, then Satan is not reigning on this earth, but the kingdom of God has come upon us. So let's put it this way. If I wanted to go and rob some big, strong guy's house, I couldn't just waltz in there and plunder his goods without binding him first, right? So if I am casting demons out of these people, I am working against Satan. I'm binding Satan. I'm not working in his power. Jesus looks at these people and says, whoever is not for me is against me. And whoever is not gathered with me scatters. He says, I tell you the truth, you can do a lot of things and find forgiveness. You can say slanderous things. You can do terrible things about me, against me, to me. You can crucify me and I will forgive you. But if you're going to slander the spirit who works through me, there is no forgiveness for that. Do you realize the gravity of what you're claiming in this little conversation at first century Starbucks about the power by which I drive out demons? Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I remember when I first became a Christian and started reading the Bible, I, 
I found this verse and got really nervous <laughs> that I might accidentally someday blaspheme the Holy Spirit and lose my salvation forever. All right, so you hear about, oh yeah, God will forgive anything, God will forgive anything. And Jesus says, yeah, God will forgive anything except for this one thing. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness for that, right? And I got scared, like what if I accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I started noticing that people would swear and curse in the name of God all the time. In the name of God the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ the Son. I've never heard anyone swear or curse in the name of the Holy Spirit. Have you? I think maybe inside of us there's this fear that like, hey, I don't believe in God, but I'm not going to risk it by blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think Jesus is showing them that in this conversation that they think is just silly, they're throwing around terms, they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, that they're dealing with some very big, scary, weighty things. Jesus says that there is a source, a power, a person who drives me, and it's the Holy Spirit of God, and he is doing amazing things in this earth through me. And if you're going to follow me, you need to realize that I am sent from the Father and powered by the Spirit. That's how this works. And so, yeah, if you decide that, yeah, Jesus is the one true God, the Spirit working in him is the Spirit of God. He is working in the power of God to do the things of God, to bring the kingdom of God for the glory of God. If you believe that and you have this crazy path towards God and you mess up all the time and you say stupid things and you believe dumb things and you get in weird arguments theologically and then you repent, you come back and you're waving all over the place, someday you'll stand before God and you'll say, God, I tried to follow you, I believe in Jesus, I trusted him with my life, and I've messed up so many times, and God will say, there's forgiveness for you, enter my kingdom. But there's one mistake you can make, Jesus says, that will ruin that forever. And the mistake is at the very source of your being, at the source of that decision, of the source of your life to decide that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God working in the power of God to the glory of God by the Spirit of God, but that Jesus Christ is operating under the spirit of Satan, the spirit of darkness. And he tells these people, if you're starting with the premise that I am powered by Satan, Anything that grows out of that confession, grows out of that heart, grows out of that belief system is going to be away from God. Right? If you devote your life doing good things, bad things, whatever, but always believing that Jesus Christ is a messenger of the devil, there's no hope for you. That if you start with the premise that I am the Messiah sent by God working in the power of the Spirit of God to bring the kingdom of God, you can do anything you want and come back to me and I, you'll be forgiven a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. But what you guys are playing fast and loose with, he says, in this little conversation about my identity is the core of which will determine your eternal destiny. So be very careful what comes out of your mouth. Because your words have power to damn you forever. Now, we don't know a lot of people who think that Jesus is like a messenger of Satan anymore, I don't think. There's probably a few little cults in this world who think that Jesus is devil or something. But and this foundational issue of who is Jesus, what is his identity, who has sent him, is he good, is religion good, is God good, that's at the core of a lot of conversations in our society. 
I've talked to people who think that religion is just a made-up thing, fabricated by men to perpetuate, blah, 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 right? I've talked to people who say that Jesus is a figment of people's imagination. I've talked to people who say that he wasn't really raised from the dead. The Spirit didn't do that. I've talked to people who say that he's a good teacher. But all of those things are making root errors with the basic identity and work and spiritual life of Jesus the Messiah and the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead. And that is a scary thing to get wrong. It says, if you start with the fact that I am from God, sent under the power of the Holy Spirit to do great things, whatever you do from there, God will redeem and forgive you and bring you back to him. But if you start from the foundation that Jesus is not the Son of God, operated by the Spirit of God who raised him from the dead, may God have mercy on your soul, right? There's no coming back from that. You're not going to stand before God and say, hey, I rejected your son, but I did some good things along the way, right? It's easy for us to read this passage and say, well, that's not me. I believe in Jesus. I believe the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that's the Spirit that lives in me. I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe he walked on this earth. I believe he lived a perfect life. He died for my sins. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven, and he ruled there, and someday he'll return. I believe that, so I'm glad I'm not like these guys. But for me, the scary thing about this passage is that Jesus talks, starts out by talking about the content of their conversation, the ridiculous content, and then he keeps going after them and starts drilling into their hearts. And he tells these people that the reason that they're saying such foolish things is because their hearts are broken and it's dangerous. And as I read this next paragraph, and hopefully as you read this next paragraph, you will see that Jesus is describing a problem that exists in all of us. Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he says. How can you who are evil do anything or say anything good? Listen to this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings out good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings out evil things of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. We who are believers in Jesus Christ know that on judgment day we will be received into the kingdom of heaven, not by anything we've done, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, God will evaluate our lives in that moment. And he'll judge us, in a sense, based on how we've performed, what we've done, what our hearts have been like, how we've served him. And it's not going to change whether or not we live with him forever. But he's going to stand, we're going to stand before him, and he's going to evaluate us. And Jesus says, here is how God is going to evaluate you. He's going to judge you based on every empty word you've spoken. Not every good word you've spoken. Not every evil word you've spoken. Every empty word you've spoken. A Greek term for empty means like the stuff that just comes out. The words you didn't think meant anything. The stuff you muttered under your breath. The things you said by mistake. And thought, Whoa, where did that come from? That is what God is going to judge you 
by. And at first you think, that's not fair. You know, like I spent my whole life trying hard to say good things, and I say one dumb thing, and that's going to come out at my end-of-life review or something? That's the thing that God's going to be like, hey, great job. You preached some good sermons, good small group leading. You were so sweet to your wife. But this one time you asked this lady if she was pregnant, that was really inappropriate, right? (laughs) God's not going to judge you on that. What Jesus is trying to point out is that what blubbers up out of our hearts in moments of weakness is a lot of times the truest thing about what we really believe. If you don't believe me, you could try this. I don't recommend it. For the next 100 days, tell your husband that you love him. I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. 100 days. I love you. I love you. And then on day 101, get in a fight with your husband. <laughs> you can make it happen. And in the midst of that fight, just let something blurt out like, you know I never really loved you, right? I've been making it up this whole time. Right? You say one mean thing and a hundred nice things, which ones are you going to listen to? The one mean thing. And is that not fair? No. Because either in that moment, you're running a weird experiment your pastor told you to do, or, or, let's pretend that wasn't it, either you are an evil person who really does love your husband, you were just trying so hard to make him feel terrible in that moment, which is messed up, Or these past 100 days, deep within you, you truly have been resentful of your husband. You've just been lying and saying that you love him. That's why if you say nice things your whole life and then say one mean thing, that's what you'll be known for. If you watch a TV show, watch these people who are friends and the guy has a huge crush on the girl and he loves her but he can't tell her his whole every day she's like I I feel like somebody told me you like me he's like no I don't like you we're just friends like I have no feelings for you honestly come on let's go on vacation together I have no feelings for you we're just buddies whatever and then in the tv show near the end of a season the guy goes out and gets drunk and he calls the girl and he tells her that he loves her now which is to believe to be believed The drunken phone call or the 23 episodes of, no, 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 I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like, right? Did alcohol change his heart or was his filter taken apart by the power of drunkenness and then he blurts out his true feelings? Jesus says, if you want to know what a person really believes, listen to what bubbles out on accident. My son Hudson is a wonderful boy. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things about him, even though it's a sin that he's uh, engaged in. He's like seven, so it's not like he's like a murderer or anything. He's five. <laughs> Hudson's playing outside, and I told him to clean his room. I look up, his room's still dirty. I'm like, what's going on? He's playing outside. So I go outside every time without, whatever. I come outside, I say, Hudson, hey, buddy, I told you to clean your room. Go clean your room. He's like, but I want to play outside. I'm like, go clean your room, right? So then he goes, Phoom. And he, like, <laughs> doesn't say anything, right? Just walks, like, up the stairs, the thing, up the stairs, up the stairs, into his tower of a room or whatever. And he goes up into his room, and I follow him up there. And I lo- this is, like, my favorite, even though it's bad. I hear him in his room, and he's, like, putting away his stuff. He's like, I never get to do this thing in my time. I always get to clean my room. And I, right? <laughs> Right? 
You've got kids too. <laughs> and so I go up to Hudson. I'm like, hey, buddy, is everything, is everything okay in here? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'll ask you this. What is the true condition of Hudson's little heart in that moment? Is it, yes, daddy, I'm just cleaning my room? Or is it, right? <laughs> If you want to know what your husband really believes, listen to what he mutters under his breath in your fight. If you want to know what your wife really believes, listen to what she says on accident. No, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. And Jesus says, he's not trying to condemn these people. He's trying to save them. Right? They're, they're trying to attribute his power to Satan. And what he notices is beyond that terrible conversation, deep inside of them, there is a heart that is broken. And when it bubbles up out of them, he identifies that there's cancer in there. I read a news story this last week of a nurse who was watching her favorite TV show and a new season starts. And the main character comes out and he's got this weird like growth thing on his neck. And it's almost not noticeable, but she's diagnosed a few people with this thing lately. And so she writes a letter or maybe an email to... The studio that put on the show and said, hey, I don't know if anyone's talked to him about it yet, but I think the lead actor in this show is struggling with this disease. You should have him get it checked out. So they pass it to the actor who goes to the doctor, like, what's it going to hurt? And the doctor does a biopsy and says, whoa, that's malignant. Good thing that random lady in Detroit or whatever caught it when she watched you on TV. That's what Jesus is doing with these people. He's across the street, wherever. He sees what they're thinking. And what he notices is that they're talking about something that indicates that deep within them, their hearts are suffering terribly. And they're about to make an error with their words that will lead them into darkness for eternity. Jesus is not crossing the street because he's offended. And Jesus is always insulted. They hurl insults at him, all that. He never retaliates. He's not a retaliatory guy. He's coming across the street because he notices that from their words, he can smell on their nasty breath that their hearts are decrepit and going to condemn them forever. And so he says, let's talk about the ridiculousness of your argument. And now let me get my stethoscope and show you that your heart is evil above all things. The scriptures tell us that that is the state of all of our hearts. And not just those of us who aren't believers or before we're believers, but until Christ redeems us, we have a heart that is deceitful and drawing us into death. By God's grace, sometimes we burp it out with our words. Reading this passage, we should be encouraged to listen to the words we say on accident. So often we kind of recount the words that we used over the course of the day, and we think, no, just forget about that. It's a new day tomorrow. Don't want to, yeah, I said some dumb things. Yeah, I gossiped. Yeah, I told that bad joke. Yeah, I did this. But you know what? I'm forgiven by Jesus, which is true. Tomorrow I'm going to live a new day. It's going to be a new day. And that's admirable to realize the forgiveness of Christ, and there's no condemnation for you. But I believe that it is by the grace of God that he drew to your remembrance the bad things you said because he's trying to show you that Behind your breath is a heart that's spitting these things out. God wants to transform those things. Jesus came to this 
group of people to show them your hearts are evil. You need surgery. You need a new one. You need forgiveness and healing. And the same is true to us. Here's your assignment this week if you want to have a fun week. Pay attention to all the things you say that are uncomfortable or offensive to you. You tell some joke that you think, I shouldn't have made that joke. Pay attention to that. You notice that every time you talk to a certain friend, you start gossiping. Pay attention to that. You notice that every conversation with anyone turns negative really quick. Pay attention to that. You notice that every time you talk, the conversation turns back about yourself. Pay attention to that. You lie in bed at night and think, I'm such a bonehead. I keep doing this or that with my words. Pay attention to that. Because maybe God is trying to reveal to you through your evil words that there is evil in your heart that he wants to redeem. Draw out and redeem. Pay attention to your words. And when you notice that your words are indicating that there is sin in your heart, ask for forgiveness for that sin. I have a buddy who's really good at this. Last week we were hanging out with a bunch of guys and talking about nothing. Guys like to talk about nothing, really. We're talking about PG&E or something. And we're just bouncing around. And the guy makes some random comment in the midst of, his, of the conversation that was kind of weird, whatever, but not a big deal, I didn't think. And then the next morning I get up and there's a text on my phone from this guy. And he says, hey, guys, I want to let you know last night I made this comment. I know it doesn't mean anything to you, but it was coming from a bad place. I just want to apologize for what I said. And, you know, I wanted to write back and be like, dude, that's no big deal. Like, it wasn't even bad, whatever. But I realized, you know what? You know what happened to this guy? Like, he made some comment that seemed totally benign to the rest of us. And then he went home and he thought, you know what? I only made that comment because I wanted attention. Or, you know, I only made that comment because I wanted to make myself look good. Or I only made that comment because I wanted to show them that I, whatever, am rich or something. Or I only made that comment because I wanted to make, make these people look at me and like me. And there's something about that comment that made him feel like he was doing it for a bad reason. And he said, you know what, this is indicating there's something in my heart that's off. I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And I'm going to confess it to my friends just so that I can have accountability with that. I think that's admirable. I think a person who does that regularly is a person who will see their heart start to be transformed. Because when we start noticing our words and listening to the things that bubble out of our mouths, what happens is that we start to notice that we've got some idols in our lives. That there are some things that we want more than we want to glorify God, and we're willing to sin to get there. We're willing to lie to get there. We're willing to get everyone to look at us because we want the glory. We're willing to make everyone think we've got money when we don't. We really want people to think that we're better than we are or cooler than we are or worse than we are. Whatever it is, we're trying to present something to take the attention away from God, put it on us, and there's something that we're seeking that's just going to lead us to death. So notice those things you say that make you feel like, oh, why did I say that? Confess those things to the Lord and say, God, what is it behind this? Why am I saying that? Why do I feel a need to tell that kind of joke all the time? Why do I always gossip all the time? What am I really trying to get through this language? What am I really trying to do with that snide comment? What am I really trying to achieve by doing this or that or this or that? And you will start to realize that you got some stuff in here that's broken. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right? Jesus says, any time a type of sin or blasphemy can be forgiven. Confess it, you'll be forgiven. 
But as you confess these things and start to become aware of where the sickness exists inside of you, where the sin exists inside of you, where the idolatry exists inside of you, you'll be more and more able to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You'll be more able to notice those bonehead things before you say them. And as you set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, as you walk by the Spirit and not by what you want, what your Spirit wants, your heart will start to be transformed as you cooperate with the Spirit inside of you and confess and repent and walk away and seize those thoughts and close your mouth. Your heart will be changed. God says someday you'll be judged on every careless word you say. And, and so it only makes sense that we'd start judging ourselves based on those careless words now. Truth be told, even in this life, I feel like the older we get, the harder it is to control what comes out of our mouths. The filter kind of gets a little bit uh, broken as we step into older and older ages. And man, if you do the hard work of transforming your heart now, the next decade, two decades, five decades, and once your filter's gone, all that's going to pour out is love. You'll still be broken. You'll still say bonehead things, but you'll be known as someone who loves people and serves people and only says kind things and never says an evil thing about people. But if you don't ever work on your heart and you just work on your filter, say, okay, I'm not going to tell any dirty jokes at work, right? No, I'm not going to gossip at church, right? Or I'm going to work really hard. And you don't work on the heart. You just work on the filter. Someday your filter will decompose and your nasty, ugly heart will be emerging. And you'll spend the later years of your life hating people with your words, destroying your family, separating people from each other because your words are powerful things. And Jesus says, don't, don't focus and fixate on your words, though. Use them as a window into your heart. Let your heart be conformed to the image of Jesus and let your words be a barometer to show you where you need work. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to give us the grace to walk in this truth this week.